Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Enterprising Gen Z podcast hosted by me, Sam Watson. I'm an 18-year-old entrepreneur from North London and today we're talking to James Bromfield, a uni student studying PPE at Oxford and the co-founder of a non-profit called Unipair. And we're going to be talking about how he managed to start a brand and get 500 users from his bedroom at uni during the first lockdown. Hi James, how are you? Hi Sam, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the podcast. No worries. So this is actually episode two of the EGZ podcast. James and I actually went to the same school where he was head boy. I think I was in year nine at the time. Um, and now you're reading PPE Oxford, which is awesome. Um, and you started your NPR on the side called Unipair. And I think it'd be good to learn more about Unipair and what it is and, and how it helps people. Yeah, for sure. So we, uh, myself and another friend um, at university set up Unipair uh, during like the first lockdown, the first COVID lockdown. So we were sort of, uh, obviously, as everyone was, didn't have massive amounts to do at the time. And we're sort of thinking that, A, we'd quite like to start a business of some sort of social enterprise kind of thing. Uh, we thought that'd be quite cool to do. And also we sort of, after having done almost a year at, at Oxford, had uh, both sort of come across the same problem, which is a well-known problem with Oxford and Cambridge in terms of um, limited access um, and issues for people coming from minorities or disadvantaged backgrounds in terms of getting into Oxford and Cambridge and having the same support networks and and, um, resources in doing that. So we sort of saw our interest in starting a um, social enterprise and that issue. And we created Unipair, which is now sort of, what's that, two and a bit years down the line. And the main um, thing that we do is we pair up um, minority or disadvantaged prospective applicants to Oxford um, and we pair them up with a current student who then mentors them through the whole process. So hopefully giving them support with their personal statements, um, interview prep, etc. All the stuff that you might get at a top tier school, um, then this is provided for free by our mentors. I read online that only 3% of applicants are black. What made you realise that there was a problem um, and and what made you act on it? Yeah, I mean, I think um, when you go to university, it's quite a, I think for anyone, it's it's quite a different experience because you're going from a bubble, wherever you've come from, even if you come from a much more diverse area or something, you come out of a bubble where you've stayed in your school and your city um, for most of your life and then you're thrown into a new place where you've got people drawn from all across the country. So I think that was quite an eye-opener in terms of, obviously we both went to the same school and um, like the school that I went to was very supportive in my application and I sort of got mock interviews, I got help with my personal statement, all that kind of stuff, of which I'm not sure I would have been able to put in as good an application without it. Um, and so then you come to university and you perhaps see how that's not the case uh, across the nation. And although, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's uh, something that we were oblivious to. I think, you know, everyone sort of knows that's the case before they go to university. But once you get to university and talk to people, you realise how much of an impact that support you had did have on you, which perhaps you didn't realise uh, before you get a chance to sort of meet and experience other people. So in terms of the numbers of people who you've helped, you've helped about 500. Is that right? Yeah. So we've had about 500 mentors and mentees come through the system. Um, so we try to do... Uh, about 200 pairings uh, a cycle um yeah so it's going to be it's, it's, it's about 500 now yeah i mean that's super impressive do you have any particular success stories of people who've come through uni pair and were successful in their application yeah so it's, it's funny because it's um it's a weird kind of setup that we have in that 
obviously when so when we pick up students um they're going to be sort of well we, we tend to pick them up actually at the end of year 12 is when we get them to apply so that they're paired up over that summer when you're starting to write your personal statement um and they've got their mentor ready for when they come back in year 13 and start writing everything and doing their interviews and all that kind of stuff so in reality that first year that we did it in in the covid year 2019 uh 2020 sorry um we were picking up year 12 students there so it's only actually this September, October just gone that our first lot of uh, successful mentees have actually arrived in Oxford because it's such a, a long-term uh, process. So we every time we go around, we get feedback, we get them to give feedback and things like that. So we've had some amazing feedback of how important it's been for them and stuff, but it's a slow one getting them actually into Oxford. I mean, I genuinely think it's amazing what you do. Um, the co-founders of Wing, Cena, who's one of them, who was on the last podcast, um, started Wing during lockdown. Um, and I know like loads of small businesses or startups had problems during the pandemic, uh, during the first lockdown. Um, what were the challenges you faced with starting your NPO during the lockdown? Yeah, um, I think that, I mean, I was, as I say, as, as you were sort of, I was working with a, a co-founder and stuff like that. So I think as everyone's experienced during lockdown, it, is a lot easier to get stuff done when you're in the same room as opposed to dealing with messaging to and fro and um, and Zoom calls and video calls and stuff like that. Um, I think also we might have benefited more from being able to speak to other people in terms of uh, trying to get funding, trying to get support and things like that. It's a lot harder when you can't be in a room with someone or go to events where you might bump into people and stuff like that. So those are all definitely challenges that we faced. Um, I think that we just did our best to overcome those as everyone was at the time by sort of making even more effort um, to communicate well and to reach out to people um, online. And I guess the one benefit of the situation was that everyone was kind of in a similar, uh, similar situation. So there was lots of people with more time on their hands to help us out perhaps and, and since everything's opened up and now you know things have changed how has UniPair adapted to like everything opening up what, what stuff have you been able to do that you weren't able to do before yeah so I think one of the biggest changes for us was that this uh, October so universities have like freshers fairs um, when the the new students arrive in at the start of term to sort of let you see what all the clubs societies etc are so this October, UniPair was able to get a stall at the Oxford Freshers' Fair. So we could actually go in person, actually meet first-year students and get them to sign up to be a mentor for UniPair. So that's something we obviously couldn't do uh, during COVID. So that was a really big boost in terms of bringing on a lot more mentors and getting our name and brand recognition out there. So we've managed to build like quite a strong brand recognition. We were handing out sort of a was it like branded tote bags at, at the Freshers' Fair for people who came and signed up and things like that. So you see them around Oxford every so often, which is quite funny. Um, so I think, yeah, once again, being able to sort of get in a room with people, get in front of people and be able to actually talk to people about what you're doing and why they might be interested in helping out is definitely something that's uh, much more useful now that COVID is... Um, less input less of an issue obviously you've, you've amassed 500 users which is really impressive so i'm interested to know how you marketed it and managed to create this brand identity you spoke about yeah so i think um building a brand was definitely a big uh, important factor for us because as opposed to having sort of a, a product that we'd created that was going to sort of sell itself something that everyone wanted with a non-profit and like a voluntary organization like this uh, an access initiative 
we needed to have a brand that people would remember that we could share widely that we could sort of get into people's minds and stuff so that they would sign up to join um and things like that so we actually built my, myself my co-founder joe we built a lot of what we were going to do uh, during the lockdown we decided a lot of the product and what unipair was going to be without actually having the name unipair that was one of the the last things to come because we knew it was going to be so important to have a good name and a strong brand that went behind it um so i think where we came to with the brand was so it's a play on the the idea of uh mentee mentor pairings and then our branding is sort of focused around the, the actual fruits pairs so our logo is pears and it's uni pear spelt pear and things like that so um building a branding that able us enabled us to link in the name with a striking logo and then we built up a strong color scheme behind all of that so i think it was important to have that name that somewhat says what the product does on the tin somewhat doesn't intrigues you but it's also short easy to remember uh, and we've got this strong bold color scheme and um logo behind it that is sort of memorable and recognizable my co-founder is much better at this than than i am but she built some consistent and strong brand guidelines uh, that we have at unipair which means that anyone who's working for us volunteering for us we have sort of consistent branding throughout social media throughout uh emails and things like that anything that goes out from us is pretty consistent which is really good i think for keeping sort of a cohesive consistent branding it makes you look so much more professional and so much more uh on the ball and organized which i think is particularly important for what we're doing because if you sign up for a mentor uh, or to mentee or whatever it's obviously a big part of your life going to university and trying to get into oxford and so trust in the the process and the the uh, organization i think was really important so we've got a brand that is strong bold striking but also professional um and as puts across the, the the messages that we want to put across that's actually that's actually a very valid point because uh, you do see lots of brands out there which look very disjointed across their social media um so you've got these 500 users now or 500 mentee mentor pairings what are your plans for the future what are your projections for unipair where's it going next yeah so this is actually a really exciting time for unipair at the moment because um i'm in my third year at university uh, as is my co-founder joe um so she and i sort of recognize although we're not entirely sure what we're going off to do yet, but pr both probably jobs and things like that. Um, so we recognize that we can't really put the same amount of time into Unipair as we've been able to do um, thus far. And it is quite a time consuming project because it's it's not something that runs itself and has to be uh, sort of nurtured each year. So we're now currently in the process of uh, joining forces with a, another access initiative in Oxford, which has also had some great success. So we're really trying to look at securing the sort of long-term um, longevity of this project that we've created um, by sort of pooling resources across Oxford and hopefully building sort of a stronger and better organisation that we can take a slight step back from and just sort of oversee as opposed to being so involved. You know, obviously you're not going to be in university forever. You're going to get a job or something. Um, where do you see Unipair going after you've left uni are you going to pass it on to somebody else or how, how do you think it's going to work yeah so at the moment so as i say we're going to we're going to be merging with another access uh, organization called uni reach which is uh, also operating out of oxford and that's operated by some friends of ours who you know the access uh, the access market is is a non-competitive industry at oxford you know we all sort of work together and it's how, as many hands on deck as possible kind of thing 
Um, so we're going to be merging with them and uh, myself and Joe are going to sit on the board of trustees because uh, they are a registered charity. So we'll be having sort of an overseeing role and be involved in sort of the wider general strategy and stuff as we look to build and take on more mentors and more mentees. Um, but we won't be so involved in the sort of day-to-day running. So I know that lots of non-profits rely on funding uh, to grow. Um, and I know it's actually quite difficult to get. I was just wondering, did Unipair get any funding? And if so, how did you manage to get it? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, we definitely lived off a bootstring um, to start with. And myself and Joe put up sort of our own money for, for the domain on websites and a few sort of paid ads and stuff like that, sort of menial charges. But now sort of once we realised, uh, once we built, the organization a little bit and we had a bit of credibility to uh go to people and ask for funding and things like that we've um basically uh worked with other organizations who do have funding to then uh support us through their funding so for example uh we worked for a a social enterprise called gt scholars uh, and we helped them to create an oxbridge course and they helped us to boost our mentorship so it's sort of a partnership where they then gave us funding as a partner um, so I think the way we've gone about it is to try and join forces with organizations who have better resources and better funding and try and uh, give to them what we have and uh, take from them in a certain way what they have. So, for example, we worked with another organization who have who are actually sort of a business and they have a mentoring app for A-level students. But their problem was that they didn't have any university students to mentor on their app. They needed more science students and things like that. And so we have a massive pool of students that we're in contact with. So we helped them to get into contact with our students. And in return, they helped us with funding and getting into contact with A-level students, which is exactly our market that we're trying to get into. So I think the idea of finding people and uh, organizations who you can have a sort of mutually beneficial agreement and sort of build on each other rather than um, leeching or anything like that is really useful. And that's definitely the way that we went about it. There's also the second route, which is not something that we personally have done much of, but I know the uh, organization we're merging with, UniReach, has done a bit more of it, which is obviously for nonprofits and access initiatives and things like that. There are various funds and um, prizes and stuff like that out there that you can apply for. Um, to get funding from various organizations. Um, so I think definitely there's there's support out there for, for good work if you look for it. Oxford is definitely not the only uni which has issues with diversity um, and which has a problem with the um, type of mm-hmm. applicants which they're accepting. Um, I know there'll be other people listening to the podcast who want to start a similar non-profit uh, like Unipair. What would your advice be to them? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I think that in this area, like the most important thing is to, first of all, obviously have the right intentions, like be doing it for the right reasons, because that will guide you a long way in what the best way to do it is. But then also it will take some time to get off the ground. So you need to be in sort of in a position where you can devote some time to it and make sure you do it properly. Uh, Because at the end of the day, it is a responsibility that you're taking on sort of mentees and stuff who are, uh, sixth form students or whatever um and you're going to be taking them on board and trying to help them with something that's going to impact their life quite a lot um but i think um what would be my advice for starting up i think it's really important um that you have sort of a good network or at least a good good access to a good network 
of uh, students at your university who are going to be able to join and sign up to this um, this platform you're creating. So it's uh, I think that's probably the, the biggest benefit that we had starting off was that we were able to access a massive pool of mentors who are ready and willing to sign up and get involved with the project. From a university student perspective starting this, the harder part then is getting in contact with schools and getting in contact with students and making sure that your platform is sort of like available to sixth formers who might not even think because of where they're coming from that Oxford is an ox- option for them or whatever university is an option for them. So we tried really hard. We we sort of built a database of, I think, over 2,000 schools or something um, and their email addresses and stuff and sent out a massive email to as many schools from um, as many like sort of state and underrepresented schools and uh, disadvantaged areas and things like that. We sent out a massive email to them to try and get out into into the students' domain and things like that. But we also recognised that in terms of trying to contact students, the issue is not always, you know, you can email the teacher, but the teacher might not pass it on. And if the student has never thought about going to Oxbridge or any university like that, then they won't necessarily get on the internet and search for you and find you. So you really need to try and get out to those people, which was one of our main aims. So sort of social media adverts and things like that, trying to get onto people's, um, you know, periphery and things like that. So that someone who think who's never thought about a top tier university then sees the the advert that you've created, sees that this could be for you and uh, then sort of gets involved with, with your organization. So, you know, I can conclude that UniPair has been a success. Um, I think it's awesome what you do. What, what lessons have you learned through this process? Um, I mean, we've already touched on brand and I think branding is, is really important and that's, we, we've covered that already, but I'd reiterate that I think that's a good start. I think the second thing behind that is probably what I'd term like processes and things like that. Like, how are you going to, first of all, what is the product? What's the pipeline for um, the mentor or mentee going through this or any sort of consumer? Like from start to finish, what's going to happen to them? And if you map that out, you can then very easily see uh, what you need to do at each stage. And that really helps you to create something that's cohesive and going to work. And you can begin to plan ahead to be efficient with your time and also to sort of uh, mitigate against any problems you might foresee. So for example, like in our situation with an access, an access initiative, we were looking at the different stages in terms of what information do we need to provide when they sign up? What information do we need to provide when they're getting paired? What information do we need to provide at each stage of the application process? Um, so we're looking at what emails we're going to send out, what information we're going to send out, what training do we need to give? What uh, sort of approvals do we need to get and things like that so we mapped out the whole timeline for mentors and mentees separately and that allows you to sort of pre-plan to make things better where you see issues to provide extra help and things like that and obviously you're not going to get it perfect like there's things that we changed second time round, third time round, added in first time round, things like that where you sort of come to the moment and you think oh we should do this we should do that etc but the more of it you can think about from the start in terms of the quote unquote consumer journey, um, which that will allow you to sort of make it a much better product and something that will work a lot better. Um, because the worst thing is sort of, 
you've done something some way. So for example, in our case, we send out a lot of Google forms to get information and things like that. And you sort of send out a Google form and then two weeks later you realize, oh no, we should have also asked this question on that Google form because we need that information as well. And it's just those sort of things that if you plan ahead and you map out, then you sort of uh, mitigate against that sort of messiness and inefficiency. So I've mentioned it before on other podcast episodes and I mentioned it before in this one. I'm a co-owner of a tech company called Wing um, and I'm doing that at the same time as my A-level studies and I think balancing my time is quite difficult. Um, and it's nice to finally speak to someone who's kind of had a similar experience of balancing studies um, and balancing running a business or a non-profit in your case. What would your advice be to students who yeah. want to start something on the side how to balance your time? It's quite tough. I mean, definitely COVID somewhat helped in that when we, we did a lot of work, when we were setting this up when there wasn't much to do. So I'll, I'll set that aside as like a extraordinary circumstance. But generally speaking, I think, I mean, the Oxford term is, is very busy. Um, but I think I've always found at least that sort of when you've got a lot to do, you become a bit more efficient with your time and things just sort of get done quicker. So I think if you've got a lot to do and not much time to do it, then the best way to, is to just kind of try and structure yourself very well, to tell yourself that you've got an hour to do this task uh, and then you're going to take half an hour to have a break, go for a run, do some exercise, whatever, like make sure you're uh, keeping it sort of to a healthy structure and things like that. But if you look at your day and you think I've got these this many tasks to do, this many classes, whatever, um, and this is the time I have to do this project, I think that most of the time, as long as you're not being unreasonable with yourself, you'll get it done and you'll get it done more efficiently and sort of setting that kind of structure and targets to yourself whilst also allowing targets and time and stuff for leisure and things like that um, really helps to sort of structure and increase your efficiency. So without a doubt, there are going to be people out there who want to stay in contact with you or want to help out with Unipair or want to be helped by Unipair. What's the best way for them to stay in contact with you uh, or you know check out unipair on socials um or yeah get involved really yeah definitely so we are uh, at unipair uh, at hello unipair sorry um on all um social media so we're on twitter instagram linkedin um the lot and we also have our website um so and also you can contact me on linkedin as well um I'm available. All right, James, I think that just about wraps it up. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you as well to you guys who are listening from home. Uh, please leave us a review wherever you're listening from. It genuinely helps the podcast so much and it helps us grow our audience. Um, please check out our socials. We're at Enterprising Gen Z Pod on Instagram. And we've also got LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much for listening.